surprise, surprise, guys. We are doing something very fun for you guys. And I know you were not expecting to hear this sweet golden voice coming your way through your headphones or car stereo or however you listen to podcasts. But it is me. I am back. We have figured some stuff out. We are moving forward. We are, you know, going about. And yes, I am the special guest that is down below. You can call me, you know, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man. The entire Avengers wrapped up into one because I am a superhero coming to save the day, as always. But I do have Justin and Heather here. We are talking about Avengers Endgame. Better late than never, of course, because it's one of the biggest movies of fucking all time. Sitting at just a, a Scrooge McDuck amount of money at this point. But as always, we were going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. So we're starting this off with the person with the new setup. So maybe you'll hear a difference. Maybe you won't. I hope you do, because Heather is going to tell us what she liked about Avengers Endgame. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Um, yeah. Okay. So for me, I will say I personally, I loved this movie. Um, you know, so like so many people, I have a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions about it, but, um, you know, they're all pretty much good feelings. Uh, majority of them anyway. So first off, props to the storytelling. Um, I, I kind of how effortlessly I feel like they were able to pick up where they left off. You know, it does mostly take place five years later. But, you know, just how they did that transition, I thought was pretty cool. Um, they they kind of easily go between the timelines uh, without being too confusing. Although I do have some issues, obviously, with um, some of the time jumping and all of that. But that we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, so they paced it really well. And and honestly, in my opinion, it did not feel like it was a three hour long movie. Um, so definitely, I do give credit for that. Um, and let's see, I think, well, okay. So another thing I definitely need to mention is the visuals. I thought that those visuals were stunning. Um, they really do just take you into this world and like the different worlds within the Marvel universe. And it's not really surprising because they do, they kind of always do a really good job with that, but, um, they were just very noteworthy, especially during the final battle, in my opinion. So, um, you know, I also love how well-rounded the film was. There was, um, you know, they had a lot of really funny moments that Marvel is pretty good at giving us. They were really good with the action sequences. Um, there was the heaviness to it, obviously, with being able to feel the weight the Avengers are carrying in the aftermath um, of the vanishing. And, of course, with the super impactful deaths of some of the huge characters in this. So, basically, just all around, it was really great storytelling. Um, and as I'm sure, you know, obviously... Um, I'm not the only one, but I really, really liked the performances of everybody in this one. Um, the Avengers always pretty much their portrayals are always really great of their characters. But there was just, again, something about this one that the performances, I just felt like they were really a step above what they normally are. Maybe because it is the last one and you know that and so you kind of feel that. But I don't know. There was just some really great moments in it that I loved. Um a couple of examples would be Chris Evans, of course, as Captain America, uh, when he's leading the support group kind of near the beginning of the movie. And he gives this speech about making their lives count and making them worth something. It really it was like a really short little scene in the movie, but it was really a profound part to me. And it really was a genuine moment for him. And it really resonated with me. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, he's just kind of trying to give that hope to these people that are left in the world, you know, when, you know, he's feeling hopeless also. So, you know, he's kind of trying to be that leader and everything. And, you know, that he's just 
feeling that heaviness of, of what he's trying to teach them. You know, it's kind of a lesson he's also trying to learn. And I just thought that was really cool. Um, another one would be Thor, <laughs> which, of course, um, I thought it was really hilarious that they, they did like the out of shape Thor you know, just super not concerned about <laughs> anything except his drinking. And um, it was a really good misdirect with that because even like when you're watching the trailers and everything, you just don't <laughs> see that that's how Thor is going to be throughout the whole movie. They didn't even hint at it. And I just love that they actually committed to that like through the whole movie. So <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting and unexpected thing. Um, I do kind of wish that he had been normal Thor for part of it that we're used to. Um, but it does totally make sense that he would be, you know, this guy that he is in this movie after everything that's happened, you know, especially when you see the very first couple of minutes of the movie and how they actually face off against Thor, or I'm sorry, against Thanos again, you know, but um, yeah, just seeing his pure vulnerability um, was kind of captivating in a way. You just, you see the pain that he's carrying when any, when anyone even mentions Thanos and, just how he wants so much to do something right to fix everything that's happened. And um, it's kind of similar, I think, with Hawkeye, too. He's very vulnerable right now in this stage of the of the Marvel movies. And um, yeah, I just think, you know, you just really feel the weight of what's happened and how it's impacted them. But, um, you know, and I love that you could see Iron Man as a family man in this one and how he was with his daughter, just seeing the growth in him that he cares so much for them above himself. So it was just a really cool, I think, um, character development thing for Iron Man in this one. Um, I loved the reunion between Iron Man and Spider-Man. <laughs> I thought that was a really, really great moment. And I think a lot of people were hoping for that. I know I was. Um, so that also brings me to Tom Holland, who honestly just gets more impressive in every, every time I see him in these movies. He's just incredible. And he has just this really a way of delivering a line that really just breaks your heart. So <laughs> I really, you know, he's he's so good at that. He's just endearing and innocent. And it just, you know, he's just so good in this role. And um, yeah, so I mean, I, I could go on and on about all of the performances because they're all so fantastic. Those were just kind of notable ones for me. But I do... Um, I do also want to mention that I like the major role that Ant-Man played in saving everyone. Um, he was honestly the real hero in a lot of ways with this. So it was just kind of cool to see, um, you know, that he was such an integral part of the team. Um, and I love the, I love just the dynamic that they all have when all the superheroes are together and they're working together and, you know, working as a team. It's just cool to see that. And um, also just how well Captain Marvel fit in with everyone, even though she only had, you know, the one movie before this and it came out literally like a month before. But yeah, I mean, it just truly showed her importance as well. And um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I absolutely loved, you know, the scene where all the Avengers come back and they're ready to fight and just pretty much that whole, that whole scene of Captain America when he, um, you know, when he throws Thor's hammer at Thanos, uh, basically up until the part when he finally gets to say his famous line that, you know, he hasn't set up until this movie about Avengers Assemble. You know, just that whole thing. It's so epic and it's amazing. And I was super excited for all of it. So it's just without a doubt, that whole part right there is my favorite part of the movie. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, aside from all of that, I do, I do like all the callbacks that they do in the films. I think they do them really well. Um, notably, I liked the Captain America scene in the elevator <laughs> and how he does the whole like Hail Hydra thing. 
to them uh, when he's in that flashback or yeah. the, uh, the time jump. I thought that was really, really clever and humorous. I liked how they did that. Um, but yeah, it just, I mean, it was, it was nice that they, they didn't make it a completely fan service film, but they also did tell, I mean, they told the story that they needed to tell with it all, but it comes full circle for many of the stories, especially for Iron Man, obviously. Um, it's, you know, it's why, I don't know, I guess it's just kind of, obviously it's sad, you know, that he, <laughs> that he dies in this one, but I do think it's cool that, you know, his last words in this are, I am Iron Man, which were the first words at the end, or the, sorry, the last words of the first movie um, of the first Iron Man film, which was the first of these Avenger films. So I just thought that was really cool how they, they cleverly did that. And um, yeah, I mean, it was just the perfect thing to do. And the whole thing just really came full circle in a sense. So um, and lastly, I do want to um, I want to say that I do like how they left it open sort of for future generation of superheroes, even though it is the end game, you know, you just you can see how there's going to be more to come. You know, they kind of ended it more on like a hopeful note, which is really cool. And um, and also just I really did love the whole final scene when they're all at the funeral and you see them panning over all of the superheroes. Um, I thought that was just a really beautiful moment. And um, yes, yeah, so I just really it was just a beautiful way to end it. And you just kind of feel like this closure sort of in a sense, even though it was still a really sad moment. But yeah, I just think that it was, I just honestly love this film. It's probably for me in my top three of the Marvel movies. Um, yeah, I just, I have nothing but love for this film. So I think it's definitely, it was worth the wait and it definitely paid off in my opinion, for sure. Justin, your turn. All right. Cinefans, Avengers Endgame, the ultimate culmination of 22 movies for Marvel Studios and this is it. This is the end of this phase, end of this uh, arc, I guess you could say, with Thanos and the first level of Avengers or this first form of Avengers that we're seeing here. So there's a lot to take in. And I mean, even if you just go to something like Rotten Tomatoes and you're scrolling through and seeing all of the superstars, all of the talent that was a part of this. I mean, it, it takes like I'm sitting here scrolling and it takes about three scrolls just to get through the cast of this movie. So this movie is massive. I mean, and, and it is no surprise that this is the longest of any of these Marvel movies. This one is over three hours long. And you would think, okay, going going into something like that, especially something three hours, man, this, it's going to be tough to keep the audience's attention. It's going to be tough to find that pacing throughout. It's going to be tough to deliver something satisfying after 22 pl plus movies. And we've seen just about everything, right? So how can this movie deliver? How can it deliver a satisfying ending that you can walk away from and shake your head and go, all right, that was great. I loved it. And this movie not only manages to do that, but there are many people calling this their favorite movie. There are many people saying that it is. I even saw a few people say, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Now, I don't know if I would go that far, but I definitely can understand the sentiment. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I've already seen the movie five times. And now that we're past the 
the spoiler ban and we finally get to post this for everyone. I am so happy to be able to talk about this. Um, Heather said some things that definitely resonated with me. Um, first of all, I really love this film. Actually, what I love the most about this film is that a lot of these actors and actresses got to really flex some acting muscles in this movie. I really thought that this movie really brought some great acting at the beginning. And one of the things that I remember talking to people about was, I hope that when they bring everybody back, because I mean, let's just face it, this is a superhero saga. These are these are comic books. This is a superhero movie. We knew that in some capacity, everybody was going to come back. But my hope was, is that they didn't do it right at the beginning. I didn't want everybody back within 30 minutes of the movie. I wanted us to get a chance to see how everybody suffered from this. I wanted to see kind of what was happening to the world post-snap. I wanted to see that. I wanted to see the after effects of half of the universe being taken away. And I am so happy to report that with this movie, it took its time showing you that. I mean, right off the bat, we we the, the Avengers are rejoined. Captain Marvel saves Tony Stark and Nebula. And almost right away, they formulate this plan and they're like, OK, let's go kill Thanos. And it happens. And, and I just think that was just so very alarming to me. That was something that. I totally did not expect, and I just commend Marvel Studios and the and the directors here, the Russo brothers, for that. Because right off the bat, I was just like, "What the hell, man? Thanos is dead." I mean, Thor cuts his head off and delivers a great line afterwards. I went for the head this time, which was a great yeah. callback line to Infinity War. But I mean, right away, I was like, "I was like, oh my gosh, he's dead." Like and and I mean the 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 reaction in the movie theater that I was in was just like that was a shock to everybody. And when he said and before that Thanos said that well I used the stones to destroy the stones, so there's no one doing what I did. So right away you're just like wow man that's it he's dead and 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 then you see the the black screen and the and the text comes up on the screen and says five years later and it is setting in that oh my gosh they had to live five years like this so that was a joy to me and heather alluded to the scene with captain america and the self-help group that he had kind of created just trying to encourage people trying to get people to move on and live their lives after the snap and i thought that was wonderful it was perfect for Cap to be doing that because when he met Sam or Falcon in Civil War, this is what Sam was doing. Sam was having these groups for veterans and people who had come out of the military and people who were depressed and suffering trauma and stuff like that. And that really made an impression on Cap. And that's how um, Captain America and Falcon or Sam became friends in the Winter Soldier movie. So I loved how Captain America was doing that. It, it, it just kind of really shows the impact that Sam had on him and the friendship that they have, which comes into play later when we get to the end of the film and he decides to give Sam the shield. Like all of that just makes sense to me. 
So that was just beautifully done. I love that. I loved how Black Widow was essentially the leader of the Avengers. Like she had taken over. She was, everybody was reporting to her. Everybody was telling, giving her status reports on what was going in, going on in Wakanda. Okoye was reporting to her. You had Rocket Raccoon was reporting to her. Um, Rhodey, uh, War Machine was reporting to her. So it was just great to see that she kind of stepped into that leadership role after everybody was gone. So uh, that was really awesome to see. And it's funny because, like, you know, there's been all this talk about Captain Marvel possibly taking over the Avengers and stuff like that. And in actuality, she is if she if that does happen, she's not the first woman that we saw over the Avengers. So I think that that's also just kind of an interesting tidbit that they had in there. But I love that. And, And there was some acting that Scarlett Johansson got to do. There was some acting that Chris Evans got to do, and there were just some brilliant scenes there with them where they really got to talk about their loss and their hurt and moving on and things like that. And I just love that. And I can't forget about Jeremy Renner or Hawkeye. We cold opened the film with him losing his family to the snap, and that was great. That was impactful. So whenever we meet Ronan, which is what Hawkeye has become, and he's in Tokyo killing um, members of the Yakuza because he feels like, well, look, Thanos got rid of all of these innocent people and you bad people got to live. Well, I'm going to take you out. So I love the resolve there. It, it didn't need a lot of time. It didn't need a whole bunch of development for you to understand exactly what he was doing. So I thought that that was great, too. And that scene in Tokyo and the sword fighting and all of that, that was just wonderful stuff to me. Um, and uh, you talked about Thor, and, and and I think that was another thing about this movie that I love, the chances that were taken. I mean, having a depressed, fat Thor, yep. that is a huge risk. That's a huge risk to people who are fans of that character and just want to see him be big and muscular and kick ass. I mean, that's a huge risk to do something like that with that character. Uh, they also had Banner Hulk in this movie or Professor Hulk in this movie where Bruce Banner and Hulk had kind of combined their personalities. Again, even though that is comic book, we haven't seen that version of, of the Hulk in this. So that was another risk that they took, get, trying to present Hulk a different way. And I absolutely loved Bruce Banner or Professor Hulk in this. I think he was one of the MVPs. There were so many great scenes with him, like when he's taking the selfie with the kids and then Ant-Man tries to get the kids to take one with him and it becomes this awkward moment. That was hilarious. That was a great scene. Uh, Whenever they are first trying to get the time machine to work and um, Ant-Man is a a child, then he's he's a teen, then he's an old man and then there's a part in there where where Professor Hulk is like, look, I consider this an absolute win. We did it, guys. We did some time travel. And Captain America is like, oh, my God, this will never work. And that was just such a great scene. I mean, even a, a subtle scene where he's handing Ant-Man a taco is just heartwarming and funny. I mean, I just really loved what they did with the Hulk here. I think this is easily the best Hulk 
the best they've done with that character that I've ever seen. So I thought that was great. Um, and then the time travel storyline, though there are some questions that I have, and I will cover that in the dislikes. This was really interesting, man. The whole time travel storyline with them having to go back and kind of collect the stones and so that they could undo what Thanos did. It was very interesting, man. I thought that was great. I loved how they flipped some of the rules of time travel that we're used to seeing in all these other movies. And that was a great scene, too, where they reference some of the other movies. But that's what was awesome about this is that we got to go back and just revisit a lot of classic moments from some of the other past movies. And out of that, you just got some scenes that I will never forget. The Captain America versus Captain America fight scene was just awesome. And, and that's just stuff that you just don't expect. Or Hulk um, or Bruce Banner having a conversation with the Ancient One. I mean, you don't see any of this coming, but I thought that all of these scenes landed. Uh, the heartwarming scene where Tony Stark actually got to talk to his father a little bit. Just great stuff, man. All of this just landed with me, and I just thought it was so well done. And the last thing I'll talk about for a little bit is, man, I just have to set the scene of this. So, you know, we're getting towards the end, and now um, Thanos, or past Thanos, I should say, because the present one has already been killed in this timeline, but now we're here we are with past Thanos. Past Thanos, because of a glitch that happens with two nebulas whenever our present-day nebula travels back in time, finds out about this whole plot of the Avengers. He finds out through Nebula that he actually won, that he collected all the stones, and now the Avengers are traveling back in time trying to undo what he did. So, long story short, I mean, I'm sure plenty of you have seen the movie, but eventually what happens is that we wind up with past Thanos in present day. And there's this last-ditch effort to try to get this Infinity Gauntlet that the Avengers, because the Avengers have successfully collected all of the stones. And there is this fight scene where it is Thor, and he's dual-wielding Mjolnir and Stormbreaker. And you've got Iron Man, and you've got Cap, our three most compelling, probably strongest Avengers. And they're going up against... Um, and they're going up against Thanos, and it's a great fight. And there's just this part, man, where, and this had to be probably my favorite part, because, I mean, I, I've said it on plenty of podcasts that we've done for Marvel. I love Captain America. I'm a huge Captain America fan. And man, whenever Thanos has Thor pinned up against a rock with Stormbreaker, and it looks like, which is ironically the way that Thor kind of had him in the Infinity War movie. See, there are just so many brilliant callbacks in this film. And he's pushing the Stormbreaker almost into Thor's chest. It's penetrating his, uh, his body armor, and it's about to go through Thor. And all of a sudden, you see Mjolnir hit Thanos, and, you, and, and Thor doesn't have any free hands, so you know he didn't summon it. And you're like, wait a second. And then somebody picks up Mjolnir, and all of a sudden, it's Captain America, and he's wielding Mjolnir, and the 
reaction that was in the movie theater. Like the entire audience yelled. Even I was like, oh, yeah. Like he picked up the hammer. It cuts to Thor and Thor goes, I knew it, which was just a great callback to Age of Ultron. And then Cap is wielding this thing, spinning it around, knocking Thanos around. He's throwing his shield and ricocheting Mjolnir off the shield and it's hitting Thanos. And I mean, I just almost damn near had an out-of-body experience. Like my, I just have the biggest nerdgasm. It was just fantastic. And then when everybody comes back, man, there's like this picturesque scene of Cap standing there and there's Thanos. And now all of the army has come from his ship, which has also come through time. So you see the Black Order, you see the Chitauri, the race that he had during the New York invasion that invaded New York back in the first Avengers. I mean, everybody is there and it just looks like a dismal situation. and. All of a sudden, you hear Falcon Sam say, on your left. And man, when all of the Avengers appeared and they go into this big war, it was just fantastic. I mean, seeing everybody on the screen at the same time and seeing everybody just uh, go towards that fight, it, 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 it was just like, I mean, that is one of the most memorable moments, comic book moments in any comic book movie. I mean, you would be hard-pressed to just find a greater moment that had so much eye candy and was just so much fan service to everybody who has kept up with this and followed this for the 10-plus years that it's been around and all 20-plus of these movies. So my hats is off to them, man. I can't say enough about this. I thoroughly enjoyed this, and. Uh, yeah, whether it was the first time I saw it or the fifth time I saw it, it just puts a smile on my face every time. So bravo, Marvel. Well, you guys definitely said a lot of different points and everything like that. And I mean, not to be, you know, far from how I typically am with things. Uh, there won't be a ton of likes in this section, but I do. Um, and some of that is because some of them were already said you know, by Heather and Justin and stuff like that. So one thing I want to uh, touch on that they didn't really touch on a lot is to me, the shining character in this movie, like hands down was uh, Nebula. I thought Nebula's story arc in this movie was awesome. I think, especially when you compare her to the fact that she's only been in a couple of other movies, she's only been in guardians one, two and uh, Avengers uh, infinity war. You know, she's, you know, didn't have that much screen time even in those movies. You know, it's not like she's one of the main ones, like a rocket raccoon or something like that, <laughs> who was still around in this. You know, you get to just see bits and pieces of her, of her here and there. Yeah. And then what I loved about this movie is you really get to see her growth over all the years since the first Guardians movie. But then you also get to see it juxtaposed against that same uh, nebula with uh, her past version coming in and stuff like that. And I just, I really loved that dynamic it showed. Like it really showed how much her character has directly changed and how her mentality's changed and everything like that. And and I thought that that was just done just phenomenally well in this movie. She was by far my favorite character. I, it, it made me want to see a Nebula solo film. I mean, I don't give a fuck about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 now. I just want to see <laughs> Nebula doing some shit in space. Um, I just really loved that character arc. Um, I, I, I also liked uh, 
the kind of the way the, with Thor's story and mm-hmm. everything like that. Um, I liked how they kind of did that stereotypical, you know, vengeance uh, doesn't heal wounds story within his what he did, you know, like him, you know, essentially blaming himself for the snap at the end of Infinity War and wanting to, you know, bring everybody back or wanted to undo it or wanted revenge for it and all this other stuff. And then as soon as he gets the next chance and he sees Thanos, they find out it's too late. Thanos has actually already destroyed the stones with themselves. So then he loses it again. That's like Justin said, and just cuts off his head. And then he just devolves over five years because, you know, he's taking the entire weight and the blame of the, you know, half the universe disappearing in a moment. And he's taking all of that and putting it all on him. And, you know, he's having a crisis of faith and belief and just everything. And I liked that story arc you got to see within that. You know, I thought that was a really great way to utilize that character, you know, and they got to go some, to some extremes with it, you know, by having the, you know, out of shape Thor um, and him just being a gigantic alcoholic and things like that. They got to go to those extremes with it, which could have been bad, but I think they... They kept it just this side of going too far with it or just being grotesque with it and everything like that. They did they did a good job of pushing it as far as they could without it, you know, ruining everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did like I did like the callback like Heather talked about with the Hail Hydra. I thought that was a smart way of handling that scene. Um to, to jump to the end, I like the fact that, you know, Sam is Captain America now going forward. I I mean I would have been hard pressed to choose between him or uh, Sebastian Stan as as the Winter Soldier uh, because both of them are, are comic accurate. Both of them have been Captain America at some point. And I mean, I would have been fine with it either way, but especially just the way they did the transfer of power and all this other stuff and and really kind of showcasing the relationship uh, that Cap had developed uh, with Sam Wilson, the Falcon throughout this movie. Uh, I th- it, to me, it felt very fitting that it ultimately ended up being uh, him that got the shield at the end of it. Um, I appreciated uh, Rescue showing up, which if you don't know, that's anytime Pepper Potts is in an Iron Man armor. That's that's the character Rescue. Um, they did take some liberties with that character with her having any weapons whatsoever, um, because the whole point of that armor is to rescue people. And that's it. <laughs> so having anything more than just well, having, like I said, a weapon in general, it makes it no longer rescue, but it was fine because they did some cool stuff with the weapons, you know, um, I, I, I liked, I don't know where I was going with that, <laughs> but I was going to say something and it was going to be incredibly profound and would have blown everybody's minds. Um, so just think, just think of that and then just believe that's what I said and we'll go <laughs> forward with that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, other than that, guys, I mean, do you really have anything else you want to add or, you know, something else that somebody made you thought of before I, you know, go into the, you know, <laughs> the episode or the episodical Sterling rant of everything I hated in this movie, which is a decent amount in this movie, a surprising amount in this movie. <laughs> OK, just before we do that, before we get to that, I just just to echo what you said about Nebula. That's interesting. You're the first person who I've heard say that that was the character they loved the most. But the more you started talking and the more I yeah. started reflecting on her performance, yeah, man, I, 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 I can totally see some of that. The, 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 the scene with Tony on the ship where they're playing football with, the pa- with paper football, 
was gold, man, where she's, you know, she's hitting the the paper football and every time there's like a huh or a huh and she's like, you know, just completely exaggerating. Like she's just really trying her best to win this paper football game. And then like almost like it was hard to admit that she was having fun. It was almost like a reluctant, but she was like, yes, it was fun. Like the actress just really had some great scenes. And then, like you said, all of the acting with the past Nebula versus the present day Nebula and being able to convey both of those emotions um, at, at different times with the same character. Yeah, she did a splendid job. She really did. So just wanted to echo that. Well, one thing I'll add to that is also around the beginning part when she is just with uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark on the Pat Benatar. Um, you you know, you were mentioning the whole paper football thing, but also to me, some of the scenes that stand out are like some of the little more subtle things like right after that, like when they're running out of rations and like Tony's yeah. feeling it way more than she is because, you know, she's mostly robot at this point, you know, and he's like going to split the rations and stuff like that. And she's just like turning it away because she's like obviously knows that this guy needs it more than she does, you know, because yeah. she has the ability. She will live longer than him with, you know regardless and things like that and it's just the subtle ways they were doing a lot of that stuff that to me really kind of shows and like cemented the transformation that nebula had because they've always kind of played her as conflicted for essentially turning good you know turning face if you will she was always conflicted about that and just within like 30 seconds you know they did such a great job of showing that that conflicted nature of her in that moment went away and she was no longer conflicted about becoming a good guy at that point. And it was just subtle things, but like the, her body language and everything like that just kind of instantly portray that. And I just think it's very understated, like how amazing her transformation was. And like, that's all I wanted by the end of that film. I was just so mad that there wasn't enough nebula in it. Like the more and more the film went and I was getting not as much nebula as I wanted made me not like this movie that's that's it that's my whole dislikes is there wasn't enough nebula no that's a lie that's a gigantic <laughs> fucking lie but no just in general like i i truly i really did and and she really is what i'm looking forward to the most in uh what i have dubbed guardians of the galaxy uh search for spock slash gamora because to me that's all it's going to be is they're going to go across the galaxy <laughs> looking for gamora you know so it's going to be just Probably. like Star Trek three search for Spock. Uh, and, and that's whatever, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this actress, uh, what's her name? Like Karen Gilliam. Um, yes. Which, who's yeah. also super good in Jumanji, by the way, super fucking good in Jumanji. Yeah, she is. Um, yeah. I, I'm really, really curious and have anticipate like anticipatory feelings about seeing where she takes this character in the next movie. Um, but no, I, I was actually going to exactly what Jason was saying. Like, I was just going to, um, you know, just kind of reiterate the feelings of you're right. Nebula was really great in this. I mean, you, you kind of feel for her more than some of the other ones and just her journey. And you see a little bit more of a complete journey in her than you do a lot of the other characters. So I would have to agree with you on that. And yeah, Karen Gillan is amazing. She's a really good actress and I hadn't seen her in anything before I saw Jumanji. And then when I saw that this was her, I actually thought it was some other actress. And then I saw that it was her and I was like, oh, oh, I 
had no idea. So yeah, she's, she's really great. And yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I assume that in the next, you know, Guardians movie, she will probably be helping to find her sister in it. So yeah, I, I am curious to see how they're going to do her character with that. Um, yeah, that'll be good. All right. Once again, a little too much silence. That means you guys are just sitting and waiting and with just quivering anticipation for what I'm about to say about what I didn't like about this movie. Uh-oh. Basically. So this is what I want everybody to do. I want everybody that's listening to this podcast. I want you to like lean in towards your car stereo or, or maybe, you know, oh, gosh, boy. turn your headphones up just a little bit. Cause I just wanted my next statement to be just perfectly and utterly clear to anybody and everybody listening to this. And that is fuck this movie. Fuck Marvel. Fuck Disney. Fuck the MCU. But most importantly, fuck Avengers Endgame. This movie was supposed to be like the culmination of everything. You know, the past 11 years, like culminating into one thing and allowing the universe afterwards to grow and to be something new. And all this movie did was break fucking everything this movie now the mcu is 100 percent broken beyond repair i know that's a little extreme it's 99 percent broken there's a one percent way they can fix this and if they don't end up doing that it is forever broken and let me explain why the way they undo thanos's you know universe decimating snap is by doing a snap that just erases the snap but five years later so all these people come back all well all these life forms from across the universe come back exactly or you know five years after they were all snapped away that has gigantic ramifications that i guarantee you they're never really going to like tackle because it it goes to extremes that i don't think anybody realizes to like it, it it just ruins everybody's lives in the entire universe you know i know they're going to touch a little bit on it in spider-man far from home because he was one of the, one, the ones snapped and you know his friend ned apparently was snapped and i'm going to argue that zendaya's mj was snapped because they all happen to be in high school again five years later you know when they should be in college at that point so you know they were all snapped away which is always incredibly convenient but that's fine but when you really break down everything that happened and why it would just completely ruin everything like so all the scenes that they had shown of of the future you know of the five years later and everything like that you know you you see a ton of rundown houses so obviously like a lot of people were snapped away and you know you see just still cities in complete ruin and you still see just all this decimation and damage done just physically to property and to um buildings and just all this stuff and so now people are going to be coming back to life like which for them will be mere moments like so quick that they don't even realize what happened i mean i think was it spider-man is the one that talks about it in the movie where to him he thought he it it felt like he just passed out for a second yeah yeah what he said yeah and so you're gonna have people that essentially passed out and they come back and their house is ruined and you know you don't know the tolls that this took on the economy i can tell you now it's going to be just the economy was ruined because you just lost half your workforce half your this half your that half of everything so the economy is essentially ruined on top of that nobody's really going to have the money you're not going to have any of the yeah there's all of a sudden going to be people there but nobody's going to have the money to then do all this work 
Because like most insurance companies don't cover things like acts of God. Nobody has Thanos snap insurance. So then, you know, if you come back later and your house is ruined and you no longer have the money to fix it, you are now homeless. And that's something that they're never going to tackle. They're never going to tackle the fact that like, say a couple is living and their kid gets snapped away. Like you always hear the stories of a kid dies or a kid something happens, something happens to the kid and the parents like you always hear the stories that like nine times out of 10, they, they always split up. And, you know, so say your kid got snapped away, parents split up, say they split up two years after the snap, they tried to make it work. And then so for three years, you know, they've been divorced or whatever. They've been living their lives. They've been, you know, growing apart. They've been, you know, possibly now seeing new people and all this other stuff. And now all of a sudden, bam, their kid's back. Like they blinked an eye. So this kid is now going from having a happy home and like all this, you know, everything like that to now his parents are divorced and possibly new family members. People could possibly have siblings that they never even knew existed that were all of a sudden born. You could have a baby that was born, got snapped away, comes back, and now would have a sibling that was born after them that is now technically older than them. You can have, nobody even th thinks about like some of the weird ramifications that it would have on the people that lived. You know, you, they, you always hear that you've got, you know, bacteria that live in you that help your body regulate things and stuff like that. So, you know, especially like you, what they call your gut bacteria and things like that. Theoretically, everybody lost half of their gut bacteria, which would be terribly bad for your, your, the health of your body to go through something like that. And so say you then did live through it, like, I'm not saying it would kill you, but then, you know, you'd have to, you would have to get some medicine. You would have to do some things to like get that back up and then it's back up. And then the unsnap happens. Theoretically, you would then get 50% more bacteria back, which would be a bad swing in the other way. Think about something like an HIV patient where technically half of the HIV virus in their body, because that is technically a living organism, would have gone away. Maybe they were actually getting better and all this other stuff. And they were actually like living their lives and actually things were getting better for them. And then the unsnap happens and they get 50% of the HIV back all of a sudden. That is astronomically bad because I don't think everybody was also taking into account that if they know so saying all life, that would include bacteria. Think about just like rodents or things like that, like th something like cockroaches. You know, the cockroach population would bounce back fairly quickly, but then all of a sudden you would artificially add 50% more cockroaches back on Earth. Termites, any number of insects or what we would consider vermin or anything like that is just 50% more of them instantly when they were also not having to struggle as much for food and everything like that because of Thanos' ultimate goal of lessening the burden on resources. So most of those populations actually would have been thriving and then all of a sudden, bam, there's even more. So you would actually have entire cities and stuff like that that could be overrun by just vermin because of this. You'd also have the fact, are, are they undo, because one, Tony Stark's a big part of the plan that he also reminds Hulk of is you undo the snap, not the last five years. So there are also other ramifications of that where say you had a pilot that was piloting a plane and say him and his co-pilot both got snapped away. That plane crashes, everybody dies. The pilot and the co-pilot would come back to life. Would anybody from that plane crash die or come back to life? Because they didn't die from the snap. They didn't go away in the snap. They died after the snap. And because, you know, vision didn't come back, you would also be able to argue that those people would die. So then you would still have people dead because of that. You would still have, you know, people driving their cars. You know, say like a parent's driving their car and they've got a kid in the backseat and, you know, they get snapped away and the car careens off and the kid dies. Now that parent's back. Last time they knew they had a kid in the back of their car. Now they're just back and their kid's been dead for five years. You're going to tell me that that's not going to have gigantic emotional like ramifications and everything like that. And all of this. And the reason why I bring all of this up is because it is all because Tony Stark wants to be selfish because he has a daughter 
And I understand that aspect of it because he lucked out because the love of his life wasn't one that was snapped away. So everything worked out perfectly for him, essentially, when his with his life back on Earth afterwards. So he didn't want to change or undo that. And so he wanted to seriously affect every other life in the universe solely because of that. When the simpler reaction or the simpler plan would have been fix the snap, except my part of it, my life. You can actually fix everything else and go back to the time of the snap and undo everything that would have been because of the snap ultimately, but then still kept his daughter and everything. And that would have been fine. The, the ultimate ramifications of that would be way less astronomically bad for the entire universe, because all the things I said also apply to other alien races and just in general across the universe, you know, and that would have been the simpler thing to do. But no, Tony Stark is a selfish asshole. So, you know, just because of him, instead of just being simple and just not changing his part, he fucks over essentially every living organism in the entire universe because of it. Then from that, I'm also going to move on to the fact that the Avengers as a whole, everybody, Cap, uh, Professor Hulk, Thor, Ant-Man, pretty much all the Avengers and everybody that are alive, they're all gigantic assholes because they're planned to go back in time to get things, you know, to steel stones and things like that so they could create the gauntlet and you know undo shit also would have wrecked numerous timelines and i know everybody's gonna say oh well the plan is to go back and you know put everything back so it doesn't do that that was not their original plan that was not the plan until the ancient one told the hulk that that was a bad idea when when they were all call, all constantly making fun of like back to the future and all those like things like oh that's not how time travel works it is though because those would always those are technically positing alternate timelines and that's exactly what the ancient one was saying would happen it would fracture timelines and that's exactly what they were okay with doing from the get-go they were okay with going back in time po possibly fucking up other timelines to the fact that that would cause timelines to happen that thanos would kill everybody and they would have no possible way of undoing it there there are ways that they could go back and because of the imbalance of the infinity stones and things like that could have actually just caused the universe within itself to collapse on each other because these are all things from the the formation of the universe you know they are perfectly willing to go and affect other timelines to kill just numerous people just because that's not their perceivable timeline that's not the type of shit heroes do you don't go and sacrifice alternate versions of everybody that you love and care about and yourselves just because you want to fix something in yours that makes you no different than thanos but yet everybody's all happy that they're doing this and you know they they go back and yeah they put the stuff back and everything like that but there's also no telling that they didn't mess up somewhere with doing all that which could be something that they they touch on in a future movie but that still also could lead to ramifications that destroy billions and trillions and an infinite number of people in just alternate timelines that could cataclysmically just end universes as a whole. And they don't, doesn't even phase them, doesn't phase them. Now, this next thing I'm going to bring up is a personal thing that I think that Marvel missed a gigantic opportunity on. So, you know, every, you know, pretty much if you're listening to this, you're except, you know, you've probably already seen Endgame. But, you know, and everybody's like, you know, Justin touched on the fact that Ant-Man uh, is pretty much the one that saves the day, saves the movie. He's the one that comes with the plan to save everything. And I was very disappointed that the ultimately like the version of events 
that Doctor Strange saw and all this other stuff was because a rat accidentally walked on a touchscreen. Like a, a, a rat walked on an iPad five years later. Somehow that motherfucker's not dead yet, but walked on an iPad like five years later and he saves Ant-Man and everything's like, you know, then everything happens and everything's all happy and gravy and all this other shit. The reason why I said Marvel missed an opportunity is you can't tell me it wouldn't have been better if they didn't have Michael Pena rep- uh, reprise his role. And he was the one like fucking around in the van, accidentally hit some shit, saves uh, Scott Lang, saves Ant-Man from the, the quantum realm. And then you would have possibly what would be the greatest scene in movie history of Michael Pena doing his like trademark, like retelling of events, but telling the snap in the five years after. That would have been really good. That probably would have just been the most amazing thing ever because those are the best things about those Ant-Man movies. When he's doing those recaps, those are the best things. And you can't tell me it wouldn't have been great to hear him do the snap to now. Yeah, and it would have been one of the callbacks that, you know, they did so many of in the movie. So I think that actually would have been really cool, too. That's that's very interesting. And and I can definitely see. I mean, that that definitely would have been entertaining. And I do agree. His scenes are definitely those scenes in Ant-Man are just some of the most hilarious and most entertaining scenes. However, you know, not to be a contrarian, but I don't know if him talking about everybody fading away and everybody dying and stuff like that. I mean, normally those recaps take such a such a comedic and entertaining tone. So I don't know if it would have fit tonally with him telling Scott Lang, everybody's dying, everybody died and everybody's gone and this person's gone and that person's gone. I don't know how you could have kept the mood and the shock of Scott Lang coming back if he was there doing that recap. And then it would have almost had to have been a sad recap to kind of fit the mood they were going for. So I don't 100% know if that works, but it's not a bad idea. Just don't just not 100% sure about it in that situation. But that's the thing is, why does it have to be sad? Because that would that you'd be arguing that his character has been alive for five years. Some people do use things like humor and things like that to move past things like that. So I think the better way of doing that would be have him doing the entire thing like he does. And then just kind of maybe right in the middle of it. Scott Lang being like, wait, what? Half of the world is gone. And then he's like, yeah. And then and then you can have Scott comment on the fact of like, you know, him being in disbelief and him, you know, maybe saying something of like, you know, like you know, commenting on the fact that it's not, you know, he's not recapping it in a more tragic way and stuff like that, because I still think that that would be doable in that, because like I said, you've been living with it for five years. Some people do use humor to move on. Some people, you know, just with the way his character is, I wouldn't put it past him to have just kind of hold on to those aspects of his personality, because otherwise, you know, he might crumble. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's not a huge stretch for me. And like I said, you can have Scott Lang be the one that balances it out like he does. And then the first thing he does is right after all that, he's like rushing to find his daughter like he does in the movie. You know, I think you do have a way of balancing it out with what you were saying, because I don't think it necessarily does have to be 100 percent grim just because of the way people handle things. No, I got you. I got you. Definitely. But 
No, that's that's a few. That's just a few of the things that I have just gigantic problems with with this movie. And like I said earlier, there is a 1% way they can fix all this. Oh, no, I'm sorry. For me to tell that 1% thing, I have to go a little more. I have to get a little more in depth with things. The reason why I also said this universe is insanely broken is because at the end of this movie, time travel is still a thing. The Avengers just literally possess time travel. Their machine's not ruined. They're not like out of a power source or anything like that. They use pin particles. They use just the shit that Ant-Man uses on a daily basis. They use the shit that Dr. Pym can just make at any given point in time. And apparently has for just decades and decades. So that's all they need to do this. It's not broken. So now anytime anything major happens in this universe, all they have to do is go back in time and undo it. And if they don't undo it, what's the point? You have time travel. That just makes you stupid. But then if they do do it, then of course it's cheap. Why like, you know, why even worry about having anything? What stakes are you really raising? Because you can ultimately just fix everything with time travel. It's a very big double-edged sword that they would have been smarter if they had gotten rid of it at the end of the movie, but they didn't. It's still there. It's 100% fully functional going in to the next part of the Marvel, the, the MCU. And the only reason why I say that it's maybe fixable is because there is a big Marvel villain that strictly deals well, not strictly deals, but his main thing is dealing with things in, in different timelines and time streams and things like that. And that's King. I mean, he's like a temporal uh, emperor. He's, you know, his big thing is timelines and time travel and affecting things throughout time and stuff like that. And he would be a great villain that if they ultimately do another Avengers, like say like three or four years down the road or something like that, like he would be a good ultimate bad guy to then slide into place of Thanos or the role that Thanos took because it could then be like the ramifications of all these things they've done with time and all this other stuff could come back to bite him in the ass because of it. And that's the only way I'll accept anything is if Kang ends up showing the fuck up because then otherwise it's just for not, you know, if they just don't write time travel in the movies and some bad shit happens still like, well, they're just wasting their time, like time travel sitting there. They're all just stupid because they're not going back and fixing it. And that's the only way I'll accept it is if especially if they start abusing it. And so King's like, look, I let you guys get away with some shit, but now I'm back. Like, I'm going to stop you guys. I'm going to fuck you up because of it. You know, I think that's really the only acceptable way to then handle it. Um, and also one thing also that if they don't do in the Marvel Universe, especially in Black Panther 2. If they don't have Namor be the fucking villain in Black Panther 2, it's an even more fuck you in game. You're a gigantic waste of time because they set it up. They set up Namor being the fucking villain for Black Panther 2 in this movie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's that scene that Justin alluded to earlier in the movie where Black Widow, Black Widow is kind of running the Avengers. And, you know, even kind of like, you know, stuff with Captain Marvel and stuff like that. But uh, I don't I don't remember the character's name, but uh, the bodyguard from Black Panther. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. She's essentially the person, I guess, in charge of Wakanda at this point. And, you know, she talks about there being earthquakes underwater off the coast of Wakanda. And my only the only reason why that should have ever been a fucking sentence is if they're just hinting at Namor. And if they're not and they're just saying it's stupid shitty earthquakes in the ocean off the coast of Wakanda. All they did again was waste my fucking time. It will make me hate this movie even fucking more. So for people like me who don't know who that is, who is that? Namor, the Prince of Atlantis or King of Atlantis, depending on the time. Um, he is a mutant, um, but 
also technically not a mutant. That's why Marvel could use him even before the whole buyout of Fox. Uh, he's the king of Atlantis. Think Aquaman, but technically a little bit older. Um, this is one of the times that DC ripped off um, Marvel instead of vice versa. Marvel ripped off DC way more. But no, he's just the king of Atlantis. He's an underwater guy. He's got pointy ears. He's got little feathers on his ankles that allow him to fly. It's cute. It's just utterly fucking adorable. But I mean, just think of, like I said, think of Aquaman, but he's always been down like underwater. He's like always been in Atlantean and he hates surface dwellers and he's just kind of a pompous royal asshole. You know, sometimes he's been a good guy. I mean, he, you know, the original defenders or no, I guess technically was it the defenders or were they technically the invaders? Um, Way back in the 1930s and 40s, when Captain America was fighting Nazis in the comic books, he was also joined by Namor and uh, somebody called the Human Torch, not Johnny Storm. It was technically an android that could light himself on fire when he was the Human Torch. And they later retconned and you know made Johnny Storm the Human Torch. But he was also known as Toro. That's neither here nor there. But, you know, he was an ally of Captain America back in World War II. And I understand they didn't put him in this, but... You know, he's just got a very long history. I want to say he debuted in 1938, if I'm remembering correctly. I could be wrong. Don't correct me because I don't give a fuck. I know I'm in the ballpark. It was the 1930s slash early 40s. So give me some fucking credit. I'm a little bit drunk. So the fact that I know that is astounding. That's really good, actually, because I look I I'm actually looking at it now and it says 1939. So Ah, see, yeah, I'll take it. I mean, they could have just started drawing him in 1938. So maybe the idea was then I'll take it as a moral victory. Uh, but yeah, he's he's just a great character because he can be a good guy and he can be a terrible villain, you know, because like he threatens the surface world all the time. He can, you know, launch a dy- dynamic like tsunami type of shit at Wakanda and try to flood it. He can attack on the sea creatures, all kinds of shit like that. And so I. And him in, in in Black Panther, they've been allies, they've been adversaries. It's just one of those things that they've always had a good dynamic in the comics, whether or not it's for good or whether it's for good or bad. And that's just all I want to see in the world is I, I don't give a fuck about any MCU movies right now. I just truly don't. Um, with the exception of I want to see Black Panther 2 if Namor's in it. Um, I want to see... Uh, the nebula movie that i am gonna write kevin feige a letter about every day until he makes a nebula movie um and then a possible moon night movie if they do a moon night movie all's forgiven and i won't care about anything else in the world but i mean other than that like that's all i want to see in phase four i don't really give a fuck about anything else i do have some theories though i'll touch on at the end of this um but we'll we'll go ahead and wrap it up because i think my dislikes alone have been more than uh both of your guys likes at this point, if not just damn close. Um, so uh, before we get into rebuttals, because I know Justin is itching to rebut something about what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, so before that, though, we'll, we'll we'll do a little recap rebuttal thing at the end. Uh, but before that, Justin, what did you not like about Avengers Endgame? Okay, so um, just to kind of talk about some of the dislikes of this movie, really. The only dislikes I really had are just with some of the plot points of time travel, because when I left the film, I felt like I understood it. I felt like I understood that, OK, the the whole point was to go back to certain points in time 
grab the stones, come back forward. I understood uh, Hulk's um, thing about time travel, where he was like, you know, if you go to the past, then if you go to the past, then whatever you do in that past, that becomes your present. And your former present becomes the past. So how can you change? Like all of that, I felt like I got it. And then in the conversation that Banner had with the Ancient One, they explained that returning the stones prevents all of the to, returning the stones at the moment in which they were taken prevents all of these alternate timelines. So I pretty much got that. So for the most part, I felt like I understood how everything came out as far as that goes. However, when we get to the end of the movie, I do think that it does leave some unanswered questions. And there are just some things that I kind of wondered about and, and some things that I don't know will ever truly get explained. Like, for instance, when Hulk did the snap that undid the initial Thanos snap, the first clue that we get that everyone is back is that um, Hawkeye's wife, the, the phone, his phone rings and it's Hawkeye's wife calling him. And one of the questions I kind of have about that is, okay, if they come back five years forward in the future and it was like she just woke up and came back, would her cell phone service still be working after five years? Would the cell phone still be working after <laughs> five years of the person not existing? So, you know, there are some things that happen in this where you're kind of like, Okay, I'll let that go, but uh, I don't think that cell phone service would have been going after five years, which kind of begs the question of what exactly did Hulk think in his head when he brought everybody back five years forward? What exactly does that mean? Bring everything back five years forward. So that's kind of something, too, because Hulk did allude to later in the film where we're at the end, he said, I tried to bring back Nat, Natasha, Black Widow. I tried to bring her back. I really did. I tried to focus and bring her back, but I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to do that. So what exactly did Hulk snap back? What exactly was his thought process? Like, we know what Tony said, but what Tony said and what Hulk did are two different things. So. If the cell phone service came back, if AT&T came back and all of that came back, what exactly came back as a result of the snap? So there are just some unanswered questions with that. It's hard to really know what exactly was restored because the cell phone service being restored maybe alludes to the fact that other things were also restored too. So that's, but either way, it's kind of one of those unanswered questions. So that's kind of something that I will have to admit. And it's possible for these things to be addressed in future movies. So it's almost kind of like something like that can't really be a minus against this film until we kind of see what they do. Or, or how it's used. But that was definitely something that stood out to me. Also, the ending with Captain America going back and returning all the stones brings up a plethora of questions. Did he come face to face with the Red Skull when he returned the Soul Stone? 
as a matter of fact, how does one return the soul stone? Because it appears out of nowhere after a sacrifice was made, which we saw that in the gut blow where Black Widow sacrifices herself. We also saw it in Infinity War when what happens to Gamora happens to Gamora. You're in a pool somewhere and all of a sudden the stone appears. So how do you return that thing? Does he give it to Red Skull and go, here you go, buddy. And then Red Skull just kind of takes it somewhere. Like, how do you return that stone? How do you restore the Tesseract stone back to a Tesseract? Because uh, because Thanos, he had to break that apart in Infinity War to get to the stone. Uh, it doesn't really show. So I know that they had to destroy it in order to get to the stone so that Tony Stark could make his Iron Man, the Iron Gauntlet is what I'm going to call it. That sounds awesome. The Iron Gauntlet. So, and you have to return these stones at the moment they were taken, which means they all have to have their original form. How was he able to do that? How does, how does the stone go back to a scepter? How does the, the, uh, the, the, yeah, the mind stone go back to a scepter? So he can return it. How does the test? How do you make that stone go back to a tesseract? So these are all just kind of things where they were like, well, what? What's up? Well, I, I, I just want to add to I just want to add to that, though, because then he's also got to re encase the power stone into that little like sphere thing. Yes. That it was in when Peter Quill was carrying it. And then he's also then got to take the ether, the reality stone and re inject that into natalie portman exactly and i was totally gonna say those things but yes you, you but you get my drift like how does he do that now one explanation could be that maybe dr strange could have helped with that dr strange is capable of restoring some of these things but still all we saw in the film but 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 with respect to the film because that's what we're talking about is what they showed us in the film i believe all of the stones were in a case Captain America had a case that just had all the stones, not in original forms, just the stones. And that they were all in a case, and he had Mjolnir, so he was going to return Mjolnir back to the point in Thor the Dark World and everything like that. So that would have essentially fixed that. But yeah, how do you return how do you return these stones to the moment that they were taken? without somehow restoring them to their original form. So Strange could have done that, but we didn't get to see that. And it didn't look like that's what happened. So that was just a big lingering question I had uh, coming out of the film. So these are just kind of little plot hole things. None of them, of course, were deal breakers to me. Still think this movie is awesome. But yeah, man, some of the plot holes that exist with the time travel. And then lastly, uh, the Captain America thing. First of all, I loved it. I love that Cap finally got his dance and Cap finally got to be with Agent Carter. But what exactly does that entail? Did he stay with her and have like a secret marriage while the Cap, while the past Cap was still frozen for that whole time? Because of course there was a gap of time between, because whenever the Captain America is unthought and comes back, Agent Carter has already lived her life. She's already had this husband. All of this stuff has happened. And he comes back and she's like 70 something years old. Now, when you go back and watch the other movies, and this is kind of cool. When you go back and watch the other movies, you notice that 
uh, Agent Carter kept her husband kind of a secret. You don't see any pictures of him. She doesn't mention him or anything like that. So I'm so I'm kind of wondering, like, did he live with her in an alternate timeline and just return to his original timeline as an old man? Or did he go back to this one timeline? So he was living with her and was like her husband while his present self or his past self, 1940s cap, was still thawed in the ice. Like, how did he do that? So the more you start thinking about some of this stuff, the more it just kind of becomes a mind bend. Like, how was all of this possibly accomplished? And why was it glossed over to seem like it was accomplished so easily? So those are just kind of some of the issues I had were really just all time travel plot point things. But I do want to end it by saying this is a different kind of time travel. Not only is this time travel, but this is also space magic. So, I mean, this is kind of, or, or if anything, it's a juxtaposition of the two because you kind of have the quantum realm stuff, which is like almost kind of like, you know, made up science stuff. Then you have the time travel stuff mixed with the infinity gauntlet and stuff like that. So you got space magic mixed with science, mixed with um, time travel. So, of course, it, it you know, it's not like anybody can logically explain it anyway. So maybe it's uh, just me overthinking it, which that's what we do on Cinema Slayers. But yeah, those were just some of the kind of plot point issues I had with the film. Now, I do actually have a rebuttal to that because there is an easy way to fix all those items that you can have in the movie off screen that still fits with all of them being stones when Cap goes back in time. And I'll, I'll do that later when we do some rebuttals. Okay, cool. I just want to say that now. So then that way we can, we can touch on that. Uh, that way it'll also help uh, remind me to touch on that. And in classic, you know, Sterling fashion, before I go to Heather, I was reminded of something else I didn't like. And it wouldn't be me if I didn't have another mini rant real quick before we get to Heather, because that's what I do in these, especially movies like this. Another big problem I had with Avengers Endgame is you did have three major character deaths when it came to Black Widow, Iron Man. And you can, for all intents and purposes, you can say Captain America. I know he didn't die, but by the end of the movie, he's an old man. He's not himself. He's, you know, he's on death's door type of shit. So for the purposes of the MCU moving on, he's dead. So when it comes to those three character deaths, which were the three character deaths of this movie, um, yeah, I went on a huge rant in Infinity War about how cheap those deaths were. And then I was like, maybe the deaths in this movie would feel authentic until they happened. And I was like, oh, fuck, these are even fucking cheaper than Infinity War. And I know everybody's sitting there going, but Sterling, it's Iron Man, Captain America, and Black Widow. They're, you know, they're three of the oldest Avengers we have. And I can sit there and rebut that with... Well, their contracts were up. They really didn't have a choice. That's what they do in TV shows and movies when contracts are up. They fucking kill off the characters because they're not going to recast those characters. They're just going to kill them off. That's that's like TV writing 101. I mean, that's right up there with Jean-Luc Picard becoming Locutus of Borg. I want to say at the end of season three or four of Star Trek The Next Generation because they didn't know if uh, Patrick Stewart was going to sign another contract going forward, but his contract was ending. So they had it to where he more or less dies possibly at the end of the season. So, you know, they could figure it out. And then whenever he did sign a new contract, they just made sure he didn't die. 
but that that's all this movie was is they killed these characters off because they had to justify them not being in the in the universe anymore they had to justify being you know they're not being a robert downey jr to be in spider-man far from home they had to do it to justify why chris evans isn't running around as captain america anymore and so like in doing so like when these deaths happen i was like well this is just as fucking cheap like this isn't real like this is i mean yes it's not real it's a movie but i'm just saying like i didn't feel any more in like impact from these than i did for the cheap fucking dusting deaths of the billion dollar characters from uh infinity war that you knew were coming back it's you know these characters might not be coming back i know black widow's getting another movie and that is a prequel so while you know scarlett johansson's contract isn't technically up she has one more movie on her contract and she was slated to get her own movie so you know that's what that is is they had to make sure they had room in her contract to do it again so like yeah once again marvel shows that they don't want to have any stakes in a fucking movie and just kill characters that they really had no choice but to kill and whoopity fucking do all right heather what did you not like about in-game well for me it is going to be similar to a little bit of what you guys talked about um and justin mentioning the whole the thing about captain america at the end there i actually that was going to be one of mine too i was like it was a little bit confusing um just a little bit like i don't know unclear what happened there and how how everything happened at the end like was he running off doing his own thing as captain america all this time like why did nothing in the future change even though he did and he became old at the end there were just a lot of questions left unanswered that had to do with that i did like the fact that you know he had his you know his uh his time or his life or whatever with peggy but yeah it, there was just too many questions unanswered and you know the whole in general the time jumping and time travel thing just had a lot of plot holes in it so for me that was that was a big one for me um i think also if i'm being honest i think i probably actually would have preferred bucky to become captain america over um over sam um i mean it wasn't a real deal breaker or anything but just for me i just thought that that's the route that they were going to take before um making sam captain america um but yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know why I feel like that just would have, that would have been my preferred choice, I guess. And, um, and Justin, I know you had mentioned the, um, the Hulk in this, you know, really shining. And this was your favorite version of the Hulk in this and everything. For me, I, he didn't really stand out for me, honestly. Like I kind of thought it was a little bit lacking. No, no particular reason why, but I guess maybe just compared to a lot of the other characters and things like that, he just, he didn't stand out above anybody else for me. And it was just, I guess it was a little bit jarring for me to see him in such a different, <laughs> a different state when he is the Hulk, you know, but also I'm not familiar with the comics when I guess that's something that he had done in the comics where he combined Bruce Banner and the Hulk together. And so I don't know, but for me, I was just kind of like, you know, he, he was just kind of there and he was okay, but I, I wouldn't say like, this is my favorite version of the Hulk that I've ever seen. So, um, but yeah. and also. Um, I did think that they they probably should have just done a little bit more um, with Black Widow's death. Like, I, I guess maybe just a little bit more of a, um, like a tribute or something with her too, because she was in it from almost the very beginning too. And just because I didn't see that they hadn't, it didn't seem like there was a full closure in it with this, with Black Widow. And so for me, I thought she was coming back <laughs> for a, a lot of the movie. I was like, oh, she's about to come back. It's totally fine. And she never did. So I feel like it was just like, oh, she's actually gone. And you didn't really get that full closure with her. 
So I think I maybe would have liked a little bit more of a closure with Black Widow, uh, just because she was a very important character. And um, yeah, so I just think that that would have been nice. Um, Other than that, I mean, of course, I really, I would have liked, obviously, if the movie had ended without Iron Man having to die. (laughs) But that's just me liking my happy endings. Um, I get why it had to be him. And it just sucks because he is, you know, he's like the OG of MCU and the Avengers. Um, and he's such a great character. So I'm, I'm definitely going to miss Robert Downey Jr. in these movies. Uh, cause I think he was just so perfect in the role, but, um, I, I do understand why that was kind of what they had to do with that character and how they, how they did the full circle thing with it. Like I had talked about before, but, um, mostly I, I really do appreciate most things about this movie. Um, those were just the couple of things, I guess probably, yeah, just the biggest one was that time travel thing. Um, and just a lot of questions related to it. And I think Sterling, it was you that was talking about, you know, when, uh, when they were brought back and it was five years later, but Spider-Man and all of his friends were still in high school, (laughs) which I was like, you're right. That's true. They, they really were. And it's almost like they wanted to make it be like, you know, time stood still for them, but not for everybody else. And it just kind of, it's kind of like, it just was unclear what they were trying to do with that, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are kind of it for me. It was just more, I think a lot of my dislikes were more preferences than, than anything else. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's going to be it for my list. All right. We'll do some rebuttals now. Um, I'll touch on mine real quick, Justin, because it's not a direct rebuttal. I just think it's something, like I said, that they could have done to fix it. And, or at least it could be the reasoning why they didn't show it being fixed is because to me, you were saying Doctor Strange can fix it because of, you know, he would have the Eye of Agamotto, which is the time stone. And, you know, they showed in Doctor Strange that he can do it on just a specific item, you know, and like turn the time back on it just in, you know, to fix, you know, he could do that on the, you know, on, you know, like the Mind Stone and reverse time on it until it becomes a staff again or the scepter again. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wouldn't need to do that because theoretically, if his first stop was to the ancient one she had the eye of agamotto at that time ah yes okay forgot about her okay cool cool yeah and so and that's just a quick little fix on that is you can just argue that he went to her first gave her the time stone she fixed the other shit especially because they stole the tesseract and the scepter. well the plan was to steal the tesseract and the scepter from that time and they only got the scepter but you know then she could fix the scepter he goes returns that and then they fix the you know, you know, she can fix the other things and then he takes them back. Um, I like to think when it comes to the soul stone that he rolls up and Red Skull's there and he wants to do something, but he doesn't. And then to return the soul stone, he just has to drop the stone down the cliff onto Nat's dead body. And it just doesn't do anything. That's just how I pictured it in my oh, head. Oh, God. As That's a, horrible. Another little fuck you for fucking with time. Um, I mean, but it, you, you, you can tell, though, that stuff like that had happened before, because if you notice, like when Nat fell and everything like that, and they showed, yeah. you know, hurt on the ground, there was actually blood splatters, like different like blood stains mm-hmm. kind of on the ground near yeah. her, where it would show that essentially previous people have come and sacrificed themselves to get the uh, the soul stone before. So it, ultimately, I think it just has to be returned there and stuff. Um, but yeah, that, that was my logic behind how they fixed those aspects of them not being in the original form is because. Yeah, like I said, the the ancient one can actually do it back in time. Yeah, perfect. You know, okay, I can. So to- I totally accept that. That is, I did not. I forgot about her. So yeah, that is perfect. I think. 
Yeah. And so that's, and like I said, that was just my logic with it. Um, I do have some more direct rebuttals for everything, but I'll let you go on uh, first with that. And I'll, I want to see what you have to say about some of the things I said, because I definitely have some things to say about what you said. Okay. So I don't know if this is more of a rebuttal more than it is just a different point of view. Like the thing is, is that it's going to be impossible to prove any of these theories right or wrong right now, because we just have to see what Marvel does with the, with the rest of the movies. So it's not like this will be the final movie and this is it. So yes, there is some finality in the sense that we're done with this with this arc, this Thanos arc, but there are more movies to come and there are more things that they could address. There are more things that they could do. Um, even in the Spider-Man trailer, there was talk of a multiverse. So maybe, you know, I, I just, but, but what I wanted to do is just give more of a glass half full approach. I feel like your, your, uh, your rant was more of a glass half empty. So I just wanted to balance that out with a more of a, a half full approach. Like, okay, well, first of all, some of the points that you made were definitely things that I didn't even think about, like the, the devastation that it could cause certain people, certain people dying and then uh, family members dying and then other family members come back five years later to find out those family members are dead. Like uh, some of those things, yes, those are catastrophic things that could definitely happen. Um, The only thing I could really say to that is that as you were saying it, I was thinking about all of the awesome narrative possibilities that could come from that. Villains could be created from this. Uh, You could have some ironic situations like that where you have this villain where all of his people died. So that's why, and he came back, but all of his family's dead. So that's why he's coming after him. You know, you could really have some, you could really make some interesting narrative choices with that. And that's one thing that Marvel, I think, has shown us that they're good at doing. Like a lot of this gray area stuff where you save people, but at what cost? We've kind of treaded these waters before. That's what the Sokovia Accords was about. That's kind of what Civil War was about. Like, you're saving people, but at what cost? So I see an opportunity to revisit some of that stuff with these, uh, with this situation of everybody coming back, but five years in the future. So while it may be one way to look at it and go, they've totally broken it and they've totally ruined it. I think another way to look at it is, is that, man, we could get some really compelling stories out of this. We could get some very interesting situations, put our characters in some very morally gray or just moral conundrums coming out of this. So I don't know. I'm excited more about the possibilities and the storytelling that you could tell with this. Also, another thing about it, too, is that like I alluded to earlier with Hulk and the snap and the reverse snap, I guess you could say, what did he actually think? What did he actually do? What exactly was brought back and what constitutes as something that 
was brought back and not brought back, what was restored and what was not restored. So, and like I alluded to with the cell phone service. So who knows? May, you know, some of this stuff you can't really be for sure because we just didn't see everything in the movie. So it's just going to have to remain a lingering question until they answer it. But I want to be the glass half full guy. I want to believe that they are going to address some of these things. I want to believe that there could be some awesome narratives that could come from this. So that's what I want to believe. And I think that until proven otherwise, that's just how it is. You know, you can either think it could be bad or think it could go wrong, but it remains to be seen what happens. And then just lastly, with the whole thing about time travel, I, I do agree with that. If time travel is introduced in this universe and they still have it, then yes, there's got to be, then why don't they use it in other films? Why don't they use it to solve other problems? Why don't they use it to do other things? And as you were saying that, I think there are still several ways that they could do several different narratives or reasons to kind of work around that. Like, for instance, it was Tony Stark that ultimately figured out how to use that GPS system. It was ultimately like his um, he figured out he put those pieces together of how to do that. So Tony Stark is dead now. So there could always be kind of a situation where like, you know, you could always explain it narratively where something happens and something happens to the original machine. Hulk is trying to restore it, but he can't quite do it because it was Tony Stark that did it. And oh, man. That, that information, that technology might have died with him. I can't quite figure it out, so I'm not sure how. Also, another narrative that happens in superhero comic stuff all the time, and I'm almost willing to bet this is what they do. There's always that tool or there's always that something that is too powerful, and what do the superheroes do? It's a cliche thing we see all the time. They destroy it because because of what? They don't want it to fall into the wrong hands. So you could always have a narrative where they say, look, we got rid of it because we don't want it to fall into the wrong hands. You could also have a narrative where maybe it does fall into the wrong hands. That would make another fun Ant-Man movie where somebody else grabs that technology and they're jumping in and out of time wreaking havoc and then maybe Ant-Man and the Wasp stop them and go, man, look, we need to destroy this stuff. We don't need to have this available because it's just too dangerous to have available. So I don't know. I think that there are ways that you could kind of explain away this time travel, even if it's something as simple as we destroyed it because it's too powerful or too dangerous to have, you can kind of narrative, you can write your way out of a lot of those situations. So that's all I really wanted to say, man, is just that I, rather than look at this half empty, I'm going to look at it half full. I'm going to believe that they're going to explain some of this stuff. I'm going to believe that they're going to use it to create some fun narratives. I'm going to believe that they're going to find a way 
to make this a benefit to the MCU next phases that we get next and not a detriment. But that's not to necessarily say that you're wrong. It's just to say that really we could come back to this and I could totally be like, damn, Sterling, you were right. They didn't explain this. They didn't explain that. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. Or it is very possible that we can come back to this and I can go, look, we got an awesome storyline here. We got an awesome storyline there. That was cool how they explained this here. Or, oh, this all ties back to the end game here. So I think it kind of remains to be seen what happens with all of that. And I get a lot of that, Justin. But at the same time, I'm going to use an argument that you used against this movie earlier itself, that you kind of have to take it for what it is right now as the movie itself. And with that being said, like, that's why I can sit there and say the same exact things like I did earlier, because these are the direct problems that this movie presents itself. Now, like, I, I get what you're saying with, like, Tony Stark and all this other stuff. The thing is, is technically all that stuff would be stored at the server at his house all that information plus the hulk is smart enough well bruce banner smart enough to where once it was explained to him he knows what to do at that point and like one reason why like they're also going to accept fractured timelines because the rooster brothers have come forward and said it too that like where this is one of the ramifications also with some of the stuff that like there is a timeline now where loki is alive because he got the space mm -hmm. stone from the tetract and escaped so there is a timeline that they did ruin because of that now there's no telling the like, and I guarantee they're going to end up touching on it because the the Loki um, miniseries they're going to have on Disney Plus, and that's probably where this is going to spin off of, and they will touch on it. But then, like, they're only going to touch on it mainly probably from the point of view of Loki with the Loki character and stuff like that. Like, there's no telling like the ramifications, like you know, whenever they describe things like a you know the ripple effect and stuff like that, where that could ripple back in time or ripple throughout the universe and stuff like that uh and, and, and change things you know and you know whenever they talked about like mending the timelines and stuff like that with the ancient one and stuff like that like when she was talking about mending the timelines from the time stones all that does is mend the timelines the alternate timelines of the fractured stuff from them taking the stones there still is potential ramifications from them actually just being there in general or the fact that like you now have the um, the possibility that like the whole that version of Captain America knows that Bucky's still alive. So there is a timeline out there where Captain America going into Winter Soldier knows Bucky's still alive, um, which who knows how that would change things. You know, True. there there are those versions of things that this movie does present itself without necessarily a quick fix. And, you know, and I do get what you're saying, like, you don't know what the Hulk was thinking and all this stuff. And he would do uh, undo this stuff. But I would argue that you kind of know what he did, at least to a degree, because the vision didn't come back. So, you know, he didn't at least even fix that, which was directly like, what, 30 seconds before the snap, you know, and he didn't fix that part of it. But you're going to tell me that he thought about, you know, making sure that, you know, people that possibly died and stuff like that might come back because it might not have been from the snap, but it might be, you know related to the snap and stuff like that but he still didn't bring vision back so to me that's still you know i think a clear point of demarcation where you can see what he did fix and what he didn't fix from a lot of that stuff i um, see i can see that definitely it's definitely something you could argue it for sure you know and it, so to me that's just and that's just the way i see it like i know and they're touching on the multiverse and stuff like that which is fine 
you know, but that's that's a whole other point of view of things because, you know, you have the multiverse, which is also a version of what they would have been creating and stuff like that with alternate timelines and stuff like that because of the interacting with stones and going back in time and creating fractioned like fractured timelines and stuff like that. That's also like a microcosm, like little version of uh, the uh, uh, the microverse and, and the, the multiverse and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I do get what you're saying, but until Marvel directly does it, I, I, I won't accept that it's a possibility that it could because I mean, they've already done weird things with the way they made the movies where they just accidentally gave the wrong, wrong timelines within the movies themselves. Yep. Once it's uh, civil war, civil war and Spider-Man should have happened roughly around the same time, you know, close to each other, but it didn't actually line up with the actual dates and times they set up in the movies themselves and stuff like that. So Marvel has always had this incredible consistency when it comes to stuff like that. And also now it's just kind of weird knowing that technically every movie in the Marvel universe is now taking place at least a few years past our time you know like that's been one of the things is most marvel movies try to take place at the time in which they're being released roughly i know that they haven't always lined up like that and stuff like that but that's kind of been the feeling they go for and now everything is in 2023 and beyond yep <laughs> yep like so unless and unless every movie they do between now and 2023 are solo stories that all take place in 2023 so that by the end of 2023 we're technically caught up to them and then they do like another avengers movie which you know moving forward kind of like unites timelines and stuff like that like there there are some weird stuff when it comes to you know things like that and and like i said i'm i'm taking the same point of view you are when it comes to i can only accept what this movie is giving me at this point and like i said until marvel proves me wrong I just I, I can't help but feel the way I do when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Oh, yeah. And I agree with you, honestly, like your feelings are totally valid. That's why I couldn't say I couldn't necessarily say that it's a rebuttal, per se, because how could I say you're wrong about something? But I don't I won't know if you're wrong or not until we see it. You know, so I feel like, yes, all of your feelings, if anybody, if any fan had these kinds of feelings coming out of the the movie theater those feelings are totally valid and and if and unless proven otherwise those are valid so that means that we would have to come back to this movie and go man it set up a lot of things it deli- it, it it set up a lot of things that it just couldn't possibly deliver on so yeah we may have to do a uh, in-game revisited episode after we've seen um, some of these movies and really talk about how either they screwed the pooch or how they did something awesome, uh, to quote Tony Stark. But yeah, you know, uh, I think it, it just kind of remains to be seen. But that's why I went with the glass half full approach, because yes, it's either going to be half empty or half full. We're just going to see what happens. And wh- th- that cup is either going to empty or it's going to fill up and time will definitely tell. Yeah. I mean, and I hope I'm wrong. Um, and it's just, and I'll, I'll go into this later because I do know on Facebook and everything like that, I was posting that I was like catching up on game of Thrones, uh, for season eight. And then after that, I was going to binge watch all the Marvel movies until Endgame 
And I mean, I might as well touch on it now. Um, I did not finish all the uh, Marvel movies before Endgame. And it wasn't because I ran out of time. It was because I chose to stop watching them. And I a lot of it had to do with the fact that I'm actually slowly realizing that I'm not liking the way the MCU is going because the MCU is changing in a way that they're going away from what I feel made a lot of the original MCU movies good. And to give some examples on that is I feel that one of the things the original like Marvel solo movies were doing that kind of made them special was the fact that in a lot of ways they were doing genre movies that just happen to have superheroes in them. Like a good case in point is Captain America Winter Soldier. That movie, if you take out the superhero aspects of it, still 100% works as like a Soviet era, like espionage movie from back in the day. And it still works on that level. You just happen to then give superhero stuff to it. Um, The original Guardians of the Galaxy works on like a space cowboy, space opera, you know, Star Wars ripoff. It works on that level. And then you just kind of add superhero stuff to it. You know, those really great Marvel movies before that all kind of had those elements to it. And I feel like that that's something Marvel has slowly and slowly and slowly been just going away from and legitimately just making 100 uh, percent superhero movies. And I blame Ant-Man on that because Ant-Man was trying to be a heist movie that had superhero elements in it. And I think it actually just kept trying to be both a little too much. And I know I've said this before on the podcast, but to me, Ant-Man ended up being almost a heist movie and almost a superhero movie. It never fully reached either one of them. And ever since then, I feel like they haven't been able to recapture that. They haven't been able to recapture that, you know, element of making just a good genre movie and then just twisting it to have heroes in it. And so everything I'm seeing now when it comes to like Marvel movies going forward and stuff like that and what I've seen them being doing and things like that, I don't feel like they're doing that anymore. And and I think Endgame kind of set it up even more to where I see it and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, this is definitely not the direction they're going to keep going in. And I think to me, you know, when I was binge watching all these movies and stuff like that, and I started getting to that point where they did start to change and like especially binge watching them and seeing that direct change happen at a much quicker pace than what it happened in real life, I think is what kind of shocked me and made me like infinitely more apathetic towards these MCU movies. I mean, I know I've been notorious, especially in the trailer slayers for saying that Marvel, like I'm completely 100% apathetic when it comes to a Marvel trailer. And I think binge watching them and seeing that change, you know, that took place over years as the movies came out. So it wasn't as jarring to me. There's a gradual change. So it didn't click to me, but then seeing it all at once, I'm just like, fuck, like this is exactly what I didn't want to see. And so, yes, I've reached peak apathy when it comes to MCU movies and I hope they change it. I really do. I hope they change my mind on it. And I hope, you know, ultimately like two years down the line, we can come back to this and go, Sterling, remember how stupid you were? And I go, yeah, I was pretty fucking stupid. You know, I hope we can do that. But I don't know. I just don't know if it'll happen. Um, but I mean, one thing uh, I, I want to kind of pivot to, since we are recording this a little later than from when it came out, uh, I just want to kind of get your guys' reactions to, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the Scrooge McDuck amount of money this fucking movie is making. 
at just a stupid pace too. I mean, as of today, which is May 13th, at least uh, according to Box Office Mojo, how they're basing this. Wow. This movie is like 200 million and some change away from beating Avatar as the all-time highest grossing movie. And me and Justin looked this up earlier. It took Avatar nine months worldwide worth of releases to reach that point. That's insane. And Marvel's going to hit that in the span of, I mean, at this point, it's 18 days. It's 18 days. And like I said, it's a little over 200 million away. That's fucking bonkers. That's insane. It's kind of awesome, though, because you just think about like, I mean, regardless of if you liked this specific one or not, you just think about, you know, all of these movies over the past 10, 11 years and, you know, 22 movies and just what an impact it's had on everyone, you know, kids, adults, everybody who's, you know, been fans of the the comics, people who have never read the comics or cared for them before these movies, like me, just really invested their time and their money into this. And they wanted to see the end result, you know, and they wanted to see how it all went down and just kind of really be a part of that, you know. And I think it's really awesome, honestly, because for me, like, I really... I had no knowledge really of, I mean, I had heard the names of these characters before, but I had never, you know, known much about who they were, what they did, you know, what was the big deal about them so much. So, I mean, I, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who only saw these movies and that's what I had to go off of for Marvel and who these superheroes were. And I love these movies. I think they're great. And I think that they, they, they teach a lot of lessons. I think that they, um, they give you a lot of hope. You know, there's realistic things in the sense of like there's tragedy that happens, even if there's good things coming and sacrifice and caring for others. And there's just so many things that you can get out of these movies. And I, I think it makes total sense that everyone's like, I need to see this. I want to know how everything ends. This is it. This is the end game. This is what everything's been leading up to, you know, f- since it started, basically. And I, it makes total sense. And it's kind of exciting to think about because we're, we're living in that time of where, you know, how, how, what, t- what year did Avatar come out? I mean, in just a short amount of time since then, that something like this could just make that much money in, you know, three weeks in the box office or whatever. It's insane, but it's a really cool you know, what a time to be alive kind of thing, <laughs> you know? So I think it's really cool. Avatar was what, 2007, 8, 9, somewhere in there. So right around when, when these started, like right around, right before Iron Man officially came out, basically, which was the first one of these movies. So, I mean... So it would, it would have had to have been 2007. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's crazy, but I, I think it makes total sense. And I think that if any kinds of movies or any <laughs> any movie you know, universe deserves to have this. I, I think it's absolutely Marvel and I think it makes total sense. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. And just to, um, I guess just talk about that a little bit. I mean, it's amazing to me. I think that it's, um, wonderful. And especially for someone who has grown up reading these comic books, loving these characters. Um, these were my, books growing up you know the graphic novels or different writers telling their stories about them or just reading different comic books and 
different series or when Spider-Man would make a guest appearance with the Avengers or the X-Men or whatever you're talking about, man, and just all of the awesome lessons that came from some of these comic book fan, uh, um, comic book stories and uh, Stan Lee and just kind of his impact and like uh, just, you know, the ability to see yourself in some of these superheroes, like because they're superheroes, they have these powers, but what's awesome about them is how human they are. And how relatable they become, even though it's this person who can do something that you'd never be able to do. Like, you'll never, I'll never be a thunder god, but I know what it's like to be depressed. I know what it's like to feel like you're not worthy of something. I know what it's like to feel like you're not good enough. And even just that little message with Thor's journey, like, you know, your depression and I, and I saw somebody posted a meme about that. I saw a meme of it going around. Your depression and your shortcomings don't mean that you're less worthy. Like just even little things like that. And maybe that was a lesson from the film, but that's a lesson that's in a lot of the comic book stories and stuff like that. And to me, it's just validation it, it for me. Even though I know I'm not a part of the Marvel team, I didn't help produce anything. I didn't help build the the set designs or the costumes of Black Panther. I didn't help conceptualize the story of Winter Soldier or any of those things. But for me, as a comic book fan, it's validation, man. Every single one of those people that told me, what will those comic books ever amount to? Nothing will ever come from those books. Why do you spend your time reading those funny books? Why do you spend your time reading those comic books when you could be reading a, a, a real book or something like that? And to me, the fact that Avengers Endgame is on the verge of being the highest grossing movie of all time. The fact that this movie has already had the greatest opening that a, that a film has ever had in the history of the world speaks to what they've done. It really speaks. It is just validation. It, it, it makes me feel like I didn't waste my time investing in these characters. I didn't waste my time when I was buying all these shirts and stuff like that. I didn't, those conversations that I was having with friends about who would win this or who would win that or who's your favorite character, all the friends I made over the years because of our love for comic books and stuff like that, it wasn't for naught, man, because this film is on the verge of being the greatest, of having the greatest box office of any film of all time. So... Um, that, that to me just says that it was time well spent. And in the wake of Stan Lee's death, it speaks to his legacy. It speaks to these characters that he created. And I don't think that this is a, t a time to be down on this stuff. I just can't preach enough the glass half full approach to this because Marvel Studios has ultimately changed the game. Superhero movies are now the it movies. And because this is so successful, this means that we could get more characters. This means that other B-level characters that may not have been 
the most popular characters. Well, now now we're we're gonna get movies, you know, because of this. We got the Netflix series with the Daredevil and Luke Cage and the Punisher and Jessica freaking Jones. Be, be, be because of this, we got all of that. Because of this, we're going to get more of that. And even kind of what Sterling was saying, because of this, they've opened up the possibilities for all these different kinds of movies, like Winter Soldier being that kind of espionage, wartime era, um, military like espionage movie, but with superheroes. Or I think about Black Panther, which is kind of like a Hamlet or something like that but with superheroes and just all of the game changing things that occurred during this 22 movie run. I mean, Black Panther got nominated for best picture, won three Academy Awards. Like it it, it feels like the sky is just the limit now when it comes to superhero films and superhero movies and stuff like that. And dare I say, We've only scratched the surface. I I don't think that this is the end of something, even though this was called Endgame. This could very well be the beginning of something. We've got a Watchmen series coming out on HBO. So, man, there are still a lot of great comic book or things based on comic book. There are still so many compelling characters. There are still so many great stories to tell. And I think this is just a testament to what you can do with these characters, what you can do with these stories. So I'm, I'm just loving all of this and I can't wait to post something about Avengers Endgame has officially become the highest grossing movie of all time. I can't wait to post it. I can't wait to tell somebody about that because man, this has just been the ultimate ride. And I'm just so happy and fortunate that I got to live to see all of this, that I got to be a person to grow up with these stories, to grow up with these books. And now I get to see a person that lived during the that that lived during a time where everybody is flocking to the movie theater to see these characters that I loved reading. So, what as Heather said, what a time to be alive. I think that this is nothing but awesome. And congrats to Marvel. Congrats to Stan Lee. Congrats to everybody from the actresses to the producers to the set designers, the costume designers, casting everybody that contributed to this success because it was all of them. Man, my hat is off to you guys and I'm excited for what is to come because of the legacy that all you guys have set. Wow, you just congratulated a lot of people on just making a mediocre ass fucking movie. Oh my. Mind boggling with itself. Um, And on that note, We'll do how we end this every time. Uh, ratings, recommendations, all that good stuff. Heather, what's your score and would you recommend this movie? Score. My score is definitely going to be... I'm going to go with a 94 references Captain America's ass out of 100. <laughs> um, I definitely recommend this movie. It's. I think it's the perfect way to end, you know, however many years of Marvel movies and wrapping up all their stories in one film, pretty much, you know, you're going to laugh, you're going to cry, you'll feel nostalgic, 
you know, you're going to feel a, a new love for people, you know, close to you. And it's just going to be, it's going to be a really feel good, but I think satisfying really is the word for what, what they've done with it. You know, it, it's a satisfying movie for, for me at least and how it ended and everything. It just gives you a little bit of everything. And even with some of the confusing time travel stuff or whatever, it's, I mean, mostly just everything works, um, at least enough for me to really enjoy it and honestly put it in one of my top favorite Marvel movies that's ever been made. Um, I think it's an awesome movie, highly recommended, especially, especially if you're into any of the Marvel movies, if you're interested in seeing just how they end everything and how it all goes down. It's definitely worth a watch for sure. Justin, your turn. All right. Man, Heather, you almost got, we almost have the same score, but I'm <laughs> going to go with 95 ending credits where you show the main cast with their signatures flashing across the screen because that was so freaking awesome out of 100. Like wow. this movie, I, I, I just really think that this is definitely one of my favorites. Is it the best uh, um, comic book film ever? Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, there are other things that come into play. Are we going to be talking about this 10 years later? Are we going to be talking five to 10 years later? Are we going to, is this still going to be in the discussion? Is this still something that we're going to be talking about? Or as we go through the next phase of movies, will this be one that's kind of forgotten about? Although I highly doubt it though, because this film did it's the first of its kind. It's the first of its kind to take so many movies like this and come together and 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 for it to come to an end like this. And especially like when you think about how difficult this was to put all this together and come up with a satisfying ending, a generally satisfying ending for fans, uh, for the most part, People have been satisfied with this. Yeah, there's the door has have been open for all types of questions and stuff. And we're wondering about things going into the next arc of the MCU. But for the most part, people were satisfied with this. This was very satisfying. It was very um, a great close to this arc that we've had for the past 11 years. So and I think that's very difficult to do, especially when you consider kind of the mixed reception that's going on with something like Game of Thrones or how sometimes seasons of things end with people saying with people kind of on the fence going, well, I was disappointed or I didn't like it or I liked it. I appreciate it. And Game of Thrones is kind of going through that right now. Every day I, I, I see a different reaction for what's been going on with Game of Thrones. Some people hate what's happening. Some people love what's happening. But man, for the most part, when it comes to this, um, for the most part, I'm hearing satisfaction. For the most part, people at least admit that the film was good. I hardly ever get anybody go, it was the worst movie ever, or it was the worst film of all time. I'm not hearing any of that. So my hat is off to them for doing what seemingly was the impossible. If you told me 10 years ago that all these characters would all be in the same movie, I would have laughed at you. I would have laughed your ass out of the building. 
and told you, man, they'll never make a movie with that many characters. There's no way they could ever fit that many characters in the movie. And the movie actually worked. And here we are 10, uh, 11 years later, and they did it, man. They did it. So I'm definitely going to recommend this. You've got to see this, man. You've got to finish it, especially if you followed some of the other movies. Though I warn you, if you haven't seen any of the other movies uh, and you try to go and watch this one, your ass is going to be lost. You're going to be scratching your head going, wait a minute, what? Or you're not going to get any of the references. So I think you really do at least have to watch a few of the other movies like Infinity War, Thor, The Dark World, at least some of the main ties that they have before you see this in order to fully enjoy it and fully appreciate it. But yes, I give it the, the that's the highest recommendation I could go. Took off some minus points just for some of the narrative problems I had with the time travel. But overall, this is one of the best comic book movies. This film has done the unthinkable. And for that, I give it as much praise as I possibly can. Go check this out, guys. Well, I'm going to give this movie the score of 62. Nebula should have been a more important character in this movie. <laughs> it should have had at least 35 more minutes of screen time out of 100. Um, like I said, a lot of the points earlier, I had just a ton a plethora, a cornucopia uh, of issues with this movie um, where I really could not fully get uh, invested or care or just even basically give a fuck what was going on on the screen. Um, I mean, I, I guess I'd still recommend it because if you've seen, you know, 22 or 23, whatever Marvel movies uh, at this point, you might as fucking well because that's how I felt. Uh, by the time I got done with this, I might as well have watched it. But at the same time, I don't necessarily feel like I need to recommend it because this movie's made $2.5 billion, so you've fucking seen it. Um, I mean, that's just <laughs> the easiest way to put it. If you're listening to this, you fucking saw it. Like, that's just, that's it. Pretty I mean, much. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, yeah, I did. if you haven't seen it, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you didn't want to see it. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't even really feel the point in actually giving this movie a recommendation at this point. You know, it's, you know, because if you wanted to, you did, you know, and if you were even kind of on the fence, you probably saw it. I don't know how else it gets to two point five billion dollars in 18 days that just if you had anything, if you just, you know, think that, you know, Jeremy Rayner had, you know, nice hair in this movie, you probably fucking watch this movie, even if that was your only motivation, because I just. It, I feel like everyone in the world has seen this movie at this point. So, I mean, that's just really it. Um, I do have a theory about how this movie or how another movie might end up tying into the MCU later. And I'll, I'll go into that in a later podcast since this one is already so super long and it's kind of a complicated little thing. So I'll, I'll make sure I go into that in a different one because if I'm right, God, I'm a fucking genius. I mean, I already am a genius, but I'm even more of one. So... You know, and if you can't tell, mm -hmm. my ego definitely needs more of a boost. So I'll definitely just love to be right again. Um, but other than that, guys, thank you guys for listening. We've got a lot of changes coming your way. Uh, so, you know, keep a lookout for that. We're still looking for intro music. So if you guys uh, have anything or know anybody or just, you know, think of something or anything like that, you know, definitely send us away. Uh, send it our way at cinemaslayers at cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on the Internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Facebook Cinemaslayers. 
Twitter and Instagram is cinema underscore slayers. Um, we've also got a couple more announcements uh, coming your way as far as some other stuff. I've got a big announcement coming your way with some of the stuff. Um, so we might as well just say that even though Kevin Feige has said he wanted to make a Moon Knight movie, he needs to do that because according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. Peace.